And thank you again for joining us. If you're welcome back, if you're joining us again, or if you are just joining us for the first time, thanks for joining us. My name is Kelly Keebler. I am a certified behavior consultant. I'm joined with Camille Osmer, also a certified behavior consultant, canine. <laughs> and we're here to shoot the shit about dog training and life. Yeah, let's do this. Yes. A little bit okay. of everything. Everything in between. So <laughs> today, the title of our podcast is Labels, Perceptions, and Expectations. Um, we wanted to discuss what labels are in the dog training world, what we think about them, how they can affect our perceptions and therefore our expectations as well. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, yep. As far as personal check-in, how are you doing, Camille? Uh, I'm doing well. Thank you. I appreciate it. How about you? What's I, going on? I am done with therapy and therapy worked. I'm feeling good. I am ready to tackle yes. the world head on. So here we go. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> and I know that you have your little helper beside you down there. Yeah. For those who are actually watching, Pluto actually is here. Aww. <laughs> we just did a little game of tug, which we're working on. You know, he's starting to come out of adolescence. There are times where he looks nice. at the box and says, hi, I love you both right now. And it's really great. <laughs> um, and our tugging, I really am starting to use play as a tool with a lot of clients because the communication and the, maybe we can have a podcast about it sometime, but the, the protocol that I use to end the game of tug, I've uh-huh. been using that protocol when he gets super hyped in different situations. So oh, nice. Gets hyped. I, I tug with him for like a second or two, but then we mm-hmm. do the out and calm and cooling method. And I think this is like probably a Leslie McDevitt pattern that I'm talking about, but nice. it's that what we're using in play is working for the rest of his world. And it's, really fun oh nice so you can apply it lots of different places excellent yeah good boy pluto today what we'll be discussing we're going to talk about labels pros and cons what they mean to us and like i said in the introduction about how they are going to affect our perceptions and how this information can be effective for creating reasonable expectations too which is kind of why i do consults and not start with training with clients you know, mm-hmm. creating, having that conversation about reasonable expectations, which we'll discuss, but you know, yes. I, my consultation. Yeah. I I had um, one lady recently got, got really upset and told me that she could just email me all the information I needed, all the history and everything. And I'm like, I'm, I'm really sorry, but it's not the same. And, and I know the questions to ask you so that I can get the information that I need. It was, I, I was trying to be very, very polite, of course. Um, but she was very upset that I wouldn't do a, uh, I wouldn't just start with training. And right away I knew, I was like, oh, I can't, nope, not, definitely can't do that. Well, it's so difficult having a discussion about what your dog knows and doesn't know. I, with Bree and myself, when we try to determine if we want a dog for a board and train, I have much lower criteria about which qualifies to come to this house than she does. And so <laughs> a question of, is your dog crate trained? For me, I'll take a simple yes or no. And I honestly know 50% of the time it will be accurate. But she right. go more into it of, all right, do they bark when they're in the crate? How frequently are in the crate? Where do you, like, she wants all of that. And it, it's what I should be doing. Absolutely. It's fair. Yeah. It's yeah. good information. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but it is it, the label, the label of crate training is your dog crate training. Yeah. You know? And what does that mean to you versus what does that mean to me? Exactly. Exactly. And yeah, said, totally. 
<laughs> shall we define what a label is, which is an interesting discussion in itself. So labels, according to the Oxford Dictionary, um, they're, it's a, they are a classifying phrase or name applied to a person or a thing, especially one that is inaccurate or restrictive. And that's what I found most, most interesting about this definition, that it, it never occurred to me that a label would be especially one that is inaccurate or restrictive. And I think, especially in, in, our, in our today's world, that's really important, that, that that's actually in the dictionary of how it's described. So the labels, according to Wiki, describing something in a word or short phrase. U.S. Today says a label might be off-putting, but it's simply talking about defining and gaining clarity about what the relationship is. And so USA Today does put labels in the ter- perspective of a relationship, mm-hmm. whereas Wiki yep. and Oxford don't. They talk about labels just being labeling anything, but the Oxford perspective, you are absolutely right. Go into mm-hmm. more about that as far as why do you think that Oxford included something as far as labels being inaccurate or restrictive? Well, yeah, that's right. I just find that totally interesting that, that it, it never occurred to me that that would be the definition. But think about the way people use labels. I, I mean, I know, you know, if we're talking about our clients and stuff, they'll, they'll label their dog as stubborn or even if they say their dog's happy. It's all their perception. It's all the way they look at it. Um, the inaccurate or restrictive. I don't know if did labels come around by by people making fun of each other. I mean, is that how it, they originated? Yeah, like that describing is- someone and describing their worst characteristics. The like labels, maybe, but like I think that that's- <laughs> you know. I don't know if this was a Susan Friedman or a Hannah Brannigan line in the sense of labels are only important if both people in the conversation agree on what they are. Yeah, exactly. It'd have to be an exact agreement on the definition. And, And I think that you and I, when we start talking about our clients or anything in particular, we use a label. I think you and I are also like automatically saying by this, I mean that. And then we're on the same page. Um, yeah. Yeah. With Susan Friedman. I mean, she just, she goes over and over and over that in um, LLA and just really, she doesn't let you label anything. Tell me what it looked like. You know, tell me what you see. Let me see it through your eyes. Yes. 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 (laughs) So I do, I appreciate Susan Friedman's, the way she simplifies it, because don't make it complicated. Why use a label when we can just describe the function in and out, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. When discussing with our clients though, getting them to describe the function. And uh-huh. I, when I first took LLA, I remember going into clients' homes and when someone used a label like stubborn, I, I went into definition, define what this looks like to you. And this is a label and why, you know, I went into all of that because I really felt <laughs> And I believe I still do feel passionately about it, but I don't need my client to understand the passion. So- right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's like, um, I mean, even if I see something written, I will ask, you know, well, what does that look like? What is, if, if your dog is stubborn, what's an example of when your dog is stubborn, what happens? What's the surroundings? What's the environment? What's the, what's the antecedent, the whole thing. Cause you have to know what sets it up. 
And so the funniest thing, when I was looking up perception, you know how they have all the questions under Google, like for different ways you can look up the same thing? Yeah. One of them says, what is an example of perception in real life? And um, it darned if the example was not, one person may perceive a dog jumping on them as a threat, while another person may perceive this same action as the pup just being excited to see them. And isn't that what we do? <laughs> I think that is so just so spot on. You know, it's scary though, because in reality, there is a reason the dog is jumping up, right? And so I'm picturing, sure. I'm picturing even Pluto, when he gets super amped in agility, he wants to not be nice near someone's face. Like if I let him get too far frustrated in agility, he is right in someone's face and he just needs that. Like that makes him feel better. So we've taught him how to cope by getting toys instead. But with that said, if I'm perceiving that as, oh, you just want to cuddle and he really wants to bite my face off, I'm going to get bit. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that definition, I mean, I, I appreciate the clarity 100%, but oh my gosh, it just made me scared a little. <laughs> okay. So that really just gave me the visual, sorry, this is down rabbit hole, um, of Elf, the movie Elf, mm -hmm. when he sees the um, raccoon, he goes, oh, does somebody yes! need a hug? And then he goes straight at it like, boom. <laughs> sorry. Elf's my all-time favorite movie. It's really important because... <laughs> When you're creating your expectations and your training plan, or when you're creating your expectations and approaching a raccoon, you can't expect <laughs> a raccoon to be a fuzzy, cuddly animal that you can squish and go, oh, you're so cute and cuddly. You can't even right. do that for Pluto. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So uh. in order to create reasonable expectations, it's important we discuss what labels you use frequently. And where are the perceptions coming from that create those labels, I guess is how to say that. Yes, definitely. I mean, but, but isn't that different for everybody where the perception and it, I mean, isn't that created by your life experiences? And that's why I don't think everyone can be a dog trainer. Right. Because I feel like you and I, Camille, tend to be a little more empathetic than most people I know. Uh, <laughs> And so when we're talking to a client, if they say their dog's stubborn, like I mentioned before, when I first LLA'd it, I'd be like, no, we can't use that term. But you and I now, I feel like are at the point where you can look around, see the house is really messy, hear the three-year-old yelling in the corner. And when she says her dog's stubborn, you can see her, she's exhausted. Granted, yeah. I've asked yeah. questions, but I now know that this training plan is going to be a little more management-based than training-based. Right, right. So I do, I like our ability, I guess I'm just tooting our own horn right now. <laughs> well, no, no, no. I was just saying, isn't, isn't, I was thinking, isn't that your perception of your client? Yeah. You know, what you see yeah. in the environment, how you see their children or their dog acting or whatever it is. It all creates creates your perception to understand what's going on. So you do know how to what kind of training plan it's going to be. Some of them are more management, and some of them are you know more training based. This is a really good point, and let's even go further down this rabbit hole because that's what we do. <laughs> but say I'm still in that client's home where the three year old's yelling in the corner, and I'm not listening to what he's saying. When in reality, he's doing like singing class, and he's actually like working over there. When I think he's just being a nut, and my and 
the mess I see over there, mom just didn't have time to fold the laundry. And she's probably like, she's normally super fixed up and she has a good kid. Like I could have read. Might be just an off day. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah so that- if you label, if you, if your perception causes you to label her mm-hmm. as, you know, maybe not organized or whatever, but yet it's just one, one moment in time that she could be totally different the next day even further down the rabbit hole if i'm having a bad day uh, yeah having a bad day too right your perception changes based on how you feel as well yeah yeah, yeah so absolutely so many different components that go into just even making a training plan that you know this is so dynamic that the training plan we create today could be completely different will be completely different then the planning training plan will create in five years or five years ago again. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. All right. I am going to get us back on our outline because we went down after rabbit hole. Back on track. (laughs) Okay. What for you are some cons for labels? Like, why would you not, why would you ask a client to say, define this instead of running with their label? Well, like you said, when you walk in your client, says your dog is stubborn um oh and what did oh I had uh, a client today I was zooming with and she said so so we were working with her second dog as opposed to the first one we'd worked with and she goes so this one's just not as smart this one's just not as bright mm-hmm. and <laughs> and I was like okay we're gonna revisit that and and I just let her finish what she was talking about I was like so so let's go back and talk about this what are you you know what are you using to train you know what are your treats What's the setting? What, you know, why is it that you think your dog's not listening? And lo and behold, there were lots of things we could change mm-hmm. and have that particular dog pay attention to her better. It, it was different from her other dog. And I, we'd already trained with the other dog. So she knew what she was supposed to do, but she was not able to translate it to the second one. So she just thought the second one was not quite as bright. Yeah. Um, and I was thrilled to be able to say, oh, yeah, he is. He is. Let me show you. And we changed a few things. And that immediately lightened up the way she thought about her dog. She loved her dog. It wasn't about not loving it, but it automatically lightened it up for her. Like she just felt more comfortable mm-hmm. and thought, you know, oh, okay, so we can do this. Both of us can. Um, so labels can be damaging because they they become self-fulfilling, mm-hmm. right? We all know that if you tell a child, for example, over and over and over, how bad they are or how bad they are at something, you know, or, or you're such a sneak or whatever label it is we put on things, they can kind of grow into that. Well, um, learner themselves growing into that, the example you just used of a dog, not being smart. If your dog then doesn't sit, it's because they're not smart. You have an an excuse for all of the reasons it went bad. Ah, Good point. Good point. Yeah fulfilling prophecy right there is you're going to make sure that your brain gets so there's a I I need to look up the term and I'm going to add it to this podcast if I can find it but there's a term that says that your your brain always wants to be right so if you label this dog not smart and then Mm -hmm. he doesn't sit your brain's like yeah you know this he's not smart that's right and like it just right prophecy um so not only but well, I was just gonna say, and the part that I love about that is being able to explain to this client in particular who adores her dogs, both of them, I, I could explain, well, maybe it's not that he's not that bright. Why don't we try this? And and we tried some new things and she's like, oh, he can do it. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, he really can, you know? 
I, just because, of course, I think all dogs are brilliant, but in your own way, it, it was really, it was cool as, as a teacher to be able to show her a different way to think about it. Mm. And all of a sudden that label didn't matter anymore. Um, I, I think, I think too, when we use labels, automatically we can misunderstand them. Even if my, if, if I'm reading a consultation form and someone says, well, my dog's really happy out in public. I don't give it a second thought. I am going to ask a question. What does your dog look like when he goes up to a stranger? Like first you're assuming he even goes up to the stranger, right? Mm -hmm. It might be that he's cowering behind her legs or doesn't jumping. <laughs> yeah. Or, or he's jumping or, um, you know, it, it, it's all about misunderstanding when you use a label, it's just too, too broad. Mm -hmm. It's not specific. Mm -hmm. And then if I ask them, well, what does that look like? Now I'm getting specifics. Oh, well, he just goes over and wags his tail and kind of puts his bottom up towards him so they can pet him. I'm like, oh, okay, well, that sounds very loose and easy. Okay, you're right. He's probably kind of happy. It, um, it, it, there's a lot of room for misunderstanding when mm -hmm. you use labels. Perception or no, because we can't all possibly, possibly perceive everything the same way, right? We're just yeah. legs. We're just, we're all coming from different parts. 100%. I do find convenience in using, using labels occasionally, though. Yeah, true. The reason why I still will... Well, one, I'm so tired of trying to change people's opinions. So if someone wants to call their dog a label, sometimes I just run with it because I don't have the energy to, to convince them otherwise. So say that someone says their dog is stubborn or not smart. Let's even go with that one, right? Right. For me, that's one that's from, I'm like, all right, fine. I don't need to change your perspective, but let's make your expectations reasonable. You know, <laughs> we'll absolutely teach this dog to go to the mat and teach this dog to even spin or come front, like do all the fun things, touch their hands. Right. But if I help them hang on to that label of, but he's not smart, then they don't expect more from the dog. And then our goals could be more reasonable too. Mm-hmm. This doesn't work for all clients. There are right, some right. clients that I can say, all right, let's run with this label. Like adolescents, I use the term jerks. <laughs> I use the term jerk all the time for adolescent dogs. And <laughs> it just applies to when a dog's doing unwanted behaviors. Now, if right. I get to the point where an owner's like, he's being a jerk too much, then I need more information. Let's go into all the different points and what does it look like here, here, and here. But you're saying he's being a jerk when someone comes through the door. If I know the client and I know the person, I kind of will know what the dog's doing in that situation, right? Like knowing that mm -hmm. dog, maybe in the first session, this doesn't help me so much, but if I work with them and I, I have used labels consistently with them throughout the package, uh -huh. then it does allow ease of communication. Right. Yeah. 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 As long as, you know, towards the end of the package, you're, you're thinking of the labels as, as the same thing, your clients thinking of the labels. 100%. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. That absolutely is a risk that I run using labels that we still don't agree with each other. Well, and I, th I think the, the, I mean, labels can be seen as good mm -hmm. too. They don't have to be bad, which what blows me away about that definition in the Oxford dictionary about um, being inaccurate or restrictive um, that blows me away that that's where it came from. Like, I want to do a history on it. Like, why would you even say that? I mean, I can understand being restrictive just because of self-fulfilling prophecies. Yeah. And restrictive kind of 
when you label something, you put it into a, a, a bucket. Like yeah. that's, yeah, a box. That's what they are. And it's hard to get out of that bucket. Exactly. You know, if, if the person doesn't have an open mind. Exactly. But yeah, yeah. And, and that's just, like, I feel like so many people in the dog training community want to have other people agree with them. So they constantly are saying, no, this is right. No, this is right. No, this is right. Like just in every situation they can, but I know the answer, but I know the answer, but I know the answer. Right. And like when we use, when we stick to, but labels are bad because you want to be the professional dog trainer. I feel like some people are avoiding labels because that's not what you do as a, like, you know what I mean? How dangerous this can somewhat be where I understand why we want to avoid using terms that we don't agree on. I understand avoiding using terms that may not be true, Uh but to completely not allow your clients to use them when they have no idea where we're coming from. Like there has to be give and take, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm so tired of reading Facebook dog stuff. I I need to stop. (laughs) (laughs) Don't do it. Don't, don't read it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. It just, it's going to bring you down because people are arguing and, and finding over stuff. And you know what? Scroll past. You don't need that. Even the, the arguments in breeds. There's so many just yeah. that you use one label and they're like, okay, I know the argument we're going to go have. And you, you clear the path. <laughs> yeah. Let's stop gloves. And she's like, no, I don't want to do that. You do you. I don't have time for this. <laughs> like, so Here's an interesting um, thing that happened last night. I was in, I was teaching my, my international class. And so I had someone from New Zealand. We were talking about insurance in your dog training uh, class. So in New Zealand and actually someone else, oh, it was my Canadian people. uh, I have someone from Nova Scotia and um, I forget the other place. Anyway, we were talking about whether you need insurance to, to be a dog trainer. And I was saying, well, yeah, you know, and she goes, she had heard that um, a lot of people use the insure business of the Carolinas or whatever it is, which is the one I use. I don't even know the name of it, but she was saying that in New Zealand, they don't really have to get insurance um, that people don't sue each other. It's just not a, it's not a thing because they're covered by the government. If something happens, the government will pay for them to, to, you know, in an accident case, However, and here's where the label comes in, Americans, if they, if they, so my, my client in uh, one of them in Canada has American clients, mm-hmm. he has to carry insurance just because of the Americans. Really? Isn't that crazy? Because she, she cannot take an American client without having insurance. Mm-hmm. At least that's what her insurance company said. Like you can't because of the way we all sue each other and we're all mad at each other and everybody's labeling each other. Yeah. They slap that American word on there and that's what Americans are like now. And it, I was embarrassed for one, but the, the label American is just, I think it's, it's definitely gone down. And <laughs> so there's my, there's the one label that makes me cringe American. Yeah. But and that, yeah. Yeah, I think we, we have a lot to learn, but the pros of label, I mean, there can, there are a lot of pros as well. And we can, we can think about those too. 
And if I'm able to leave a, a client's house and now she doesn't think of her dog as not smart, but now she thinks of her dog as terrific, I can take that label, you know? Sometimes it's just, I want to change those labels around. Change the perspective. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think yep. that that is really, we probably mentioned it in previous episodes, but Sarah Owings, her emotional cup analogy. Yeah, you know? yeah, I like that. Is that so, the diagram that you have? Yeah. Is that the diagram that you get? Oh, I love that. I love that. Um, and it really is, well, it, it kind of combines like, you know, the half empty, half full cup. So it's what fills your cup. And a lot of the therapy that I just had to go through was taking time out of my day to recognize what fills my cup. Mm -hmm. Because if I stop and recognize what I'm grateful for, what I appreciate and all of that, I can recognize my cup is a lot more full than I thought it was. So forward, I have the perception of things being a lot easier to handle than if I didn't just stop for five minutes and take a breather of what I'm grateful for and what I appreciate and what I have available to me. Sure. Um, I think that that in itself, I'm trying to get clients to start doing it in the sense of, I tell my clients that no matter whose home I go into, whether they did two training sessions every day or one training session a week, they say they didn't do enough. And it is, it's a perception of you're never doing enough. Right. We all have that perception. I can't move fast enough. I can't, I can't work fast enough. Nothing. So I do. I think that going back to Hannah Brannigan's point of you need to have data when you train, mm-hmm. it does help your perception, right? Cause you can go back and see what you did. And Good point. That. Yeah, absolutely. You can see where you came from. Exactly. But, and if yeah. you are the kind of person like me that knows this is extremely important, still has not found a way to be reliable with taking down your data then my expectations of myself is I'm not going to improve on my goals right now. (laughs) You know, I have a very clear expectation of there will not be improvement until I do something differently. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Do you have a line that you fall back on when, or like, what do you typically say when people say, how long is this going to take? So, yeah at least I think I'm really truthful. So here's, here's how you make it work better. I fully offer myself if they want to text me, call me, well, text me or email me only because like to send videos, Mm -hmm. to show me what they're doing with their practices. I tell every single client I'm available. So if you show me that you take the time to practice and you're going to send me a video on it, I'm going to work 24 seven to make sure that you are successful because you're showing me that you're working. If I'm going to tell a client about making the most of their package, practice, mm-hmm. just practice, pat yourself on the back, practice a little more and then take a break. I don't want anybody to, to feel like they have to do it 24 seven, but if they get five minutes of good practice in, I tell them that that's fabulous. If you got five minutes in, that you feel good about, fabulous. Take a break, go do something fun. Go let your dog sniff, whatever it is. Um, that's what I end up telling people about the time that it takes. If the, the harder you try, the faster this is gonna work because your dogs, dogs are ready to learn. They're always ready to learn. You are a lot more optimistic in that answer than I am. 
Really? What do you say? Gosh, when a client asks me how long this got to take, I never give an answer because there's too much to go into the prognosis. I say, I would love to be able to give you an answer, but there's just too much. Meaning how much are you going to, pre- I, I do say, I think Michael mm-hmm. Shikashio gave this line of the, the time it takes to get to your successful goal is directly related to how much effort you put into this training plan. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. That? But with that said, I have so many adolescent owners that want their dog to not be an adolescent. So a lot of times I say until they're five years old, like that's how long. So I really try, I I do encourage them. And and you're making me wonder if I, I need to be more encouraging my clients because I have accepted that we all don't have time. Right. We're all busy. Everybody is. Mm-hmm. So I do, I encourage clients to do it, but I also know that if someone says you must do this thing, the last thing I want to do is do that thing. <laughs> I <laughs> totally <laughs> agree. <laughs> Finding the answer. But, to- yes. But what if you say it in terms of, you know, you must do this thing. Let's say you must do your homework mm-hmm. to make the most of the money that you spent. Yeah, that is true. Right. Because then it makes... I like that. You know, if you're going to pay me this money, I'm going to give you the tools to use, but you got to use them. Like yeah. it, it's not osmosis. It just, it's not going to just happen. Um, So kind of turning it back and saying, Hey, if you want to make the most of this, our time together, the money that you've spent, this is how you do it. Yeah. Little bits of practice all along the way. And I try to make it, I, I always say, I want you to be happy to look forward to training. I don't want you to feel like it takes an hour because it doesn't. Mm-hmm. I want you to look forward to it. And I want your dog to look forward to it. So that it's fun and you're not, oh, great, Camille's coming tomorrow. I guess I better practice. <laughs> well, a quick rabbit hole from our labels, perception, and expectations. But I am finding such a challenge with clients knowing when their dog's in work mode or relaxation mode and how to find that happy medium as well. Uh-huh. Because the clients who put on their work, their their treat bag, the dog's like, I got this. Tell me what to do. And I am good. And then the treat bag comes off and then they go act like a punk, you know? Right, right. <laughs> My adolescent label. But it really is. I We have border collies and shepherds and working dogs that are like, tell me what to do and I will do it. You want me to do a backflip? I will show you how to do that. But once your treat bag comes off, <laughs> peace, you know? <laughs> So it's so hard to create reasonable expectations when the goals are, they want a good dog. Right. That label, I guess, is one that I'm not a fan of. Well, and it hurts my heart when they compare this puppy to their senior dog that just died, you know, or their dog they just had that just passed. And I'm like, but this is one, it's not the same dog. And you went through this with your senior dog when he was a puppy. It's he's, he's just a puppy. He's got to grow up and he's got to learn the way your senior dog did. Well, even to think about the learning, like the brain is just not capable to show the calmness that it shows at at three years that it shows at different ages. Yeah. You know, but I mean, even step further from that and not to, to belittle anyone else's training methods, but Camille, when you and I train a dog, their bodies light up when they go to train. 
They're right. like, yeah, we're doing this. They're yeah. like, oh, she's here. Exactly, right? And, <laughs> I and, know, I love that. In some cases, 100%, because the dog's excited. And I talk about the the downsides of positive reinforcement training in that way, that if you mm-hmm. do if you're not smart, smart with your reinforcement delivery, you're, you might create a little bit of a nightmare trying to get those treats. So we need to discuss this, Sure, but there are other methods of training that when dogs get into work mode, they're stringent. They're still, it's almost like they're afraid to mess up. They are, I'm working, you know, and the clients that compare their dogs to those dogs for me, it's, it's difficult to be like, I see that that looks beautiful. And I know you're saying that's what you want, but is that really what you want? Because to get a dog to be that on top, on cue, if you're doing it with positive reinforcement, which you're going to have a little bit of a tail wag if you're doing it, it's going to take a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of practice. And even then some. The other methods that you use to get a dog like that, I, I don't, I'm not a fan of it. So it's not really how I'm going to help. Like, that's a conversation I have, you know? And it's so hard that if those are their expectations, yes. I think this comes down to us choosing clients that will fit with our training style. Well, that's true. I, I agree with that. I think too, when I think of those dogs that are sitting just right and so perfect and, and all that, I think that's just a dog that's scared to make a choice because he's going to get punished if he makes the wrong one, you know? So he sits like that and he doesn't make a move because he's terrified to make a choice. I've seen and I never want a dog that's scared to make a choice. Yeah. I just, I just want to help him. I guess I want to reinforce him with the choices we like so that he wants to do them just because. Absolutely. I also think back to your thing about treats. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the hardest things about positive reinforcement. And I, I teach it to every client and I tell them that when we start is it, it's not just about using treats. It is about your delivery, your timing, everything like that, but it's also about fading them mm-hmm. and understanding when you can, you know, variable reinforcement or understanding when you can use environmental reinforcers, the whole thing. Um, and I try to point that out because I think that's what a lot of people think about re- positive reinforcement. They just think, oh, it's just cookies and treats and, you know, you know my dog's going to get fat and this, that, and the other. Um, but no, I, I I want to make sure that my client understands "Mm, we're going to fade treats. We're going to, we're going to work on things and I'll show you how to fade them. Or you ask for four things and then give a treat that whole kind of thing. And it's such a difficult thing with expectations. Yes. Well, not even like, I think I want to have a podcast with you about fading treats. Maybe drop the treats, uh, drop the treats. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 There you go. With that said, like, and, and because it is such There's a, so many ways to do it. I'm sorry, and, I totally interrupted. No, you're good. I interrupt me. But, <laughs> um, but like, there are so many different ways of doing it. And the environment is where it gets difficult for me when I'm training clients. Because we use a high rate of reinforcement when we first teach a behavior. And then as the dog gets more comfortable, we can reduce the rate of reinforcement. But if you go mm-hmm. into a new environment, you need a high rate of reinforcement. Right. But if right. You're generalizing it, then maybe in environment 10, you may not need a high rate of reinforcement then, but not all learners. So like even those expectations are difficult. If someone says on day one, how long is this going to take to fade treats? Whew, 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 I'm not answering that question with a 10 foot pole, yeah. you know, no. 
like there are there and not even that like catching on all the different forms of reinforcement that you can use in your training plan for each dog like that's the fun for me if mm -hmm. i can reward a dog with a go say hi instead of treats now i have two tools cool like it just it's right. so dynamic i love it well i was just thinking about the fact that we talk about um rates of reinforcements and things like that I've even kind of shifted, well, I, I've not even shifted as the way I taught when I did obedience. I always called it basic manners. Mm -hmm. And I, and now I've shifted into more like life skills. Yes. Because that's thought, what people need. Yes. Well, for because how many of our clients are out of lessons? I'm teaching coping mechanisms. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, pattern games. I, there are coping mechanisms. Mm -hmm. And if you want to, and, and just in the same way that I had to practice, oh, Liz Randall's going to love this. They had to practice box breathing when I was calm, <laughs> I already had a slow heart rate and I wasn't feeling anxious. I practice it then. So when I am starting to feel anxious, when I am seeing red, I can practice box breathing then because I built the myelin to be able to repeat that process. Right. So right. Sense that you're going to have a dog look at you calmly for a treat you need to practice when they're calm because if you right right when they're amped then you're classically conditioning them to get amped when they see treats like that in itself is huge i do want to say and i probably have said this before and i i will keep saying it every single podcast if i need to there is no right or wrong way to raise a dog everyone is going to tell you that their way is the right way of doing it and it drives right nuts this is the right way of doing it you must do this way if you want to be right there is an infinite number of right ways to raise your dog if your dog isn't in pain isn't hungry has shelter can act like themselves isn't afraid i think is the fifth one i didn't mention um that for me and i i can't really have the discussion that for me is doing it right Mm -hmm. So if your go say hi results in your dog going and jumping on a person and your go say hi results in a dog going and licking their hand, I think both of those are right go say hi to each their own. So to create expectations, I really, on every consultation, I have the conversation with the client with, are these expectations yours or are they social medias? Are they what you're right, right, be? right. Because if you don't care, your dog's jumping on the couch, then I don't care your dog's jumping on the couch. I, I fully agree. Somebody was like, you know, I know it's wrong, but my dog sleeps in the bed with us. I don't care if your dog sleeps in the bed with you. If that's what you want, let your dog sleep in the bed with you. It doesn't bother me in the least. I have started with Pluto, though, talking about how the bedroom is a hot spot. Oh, okay. You know, when someone talks about dogs in bedroom, my first question is, as long as when you get up to go to the bathroom, your dog isn't growling at you or being- When you come back and yeah, yeah, absolutely. You hit on that every single time now. Yeah. Well, yeah. and it's the same thing as a couch. If you get up off the couch and your dog's on the couch and he growls when you come back, okay, that, you know, that's going to be a problem. That is a good information. And they typically do generalize it pretty quickly. Just Pluto showed it- Sure. Before he's showing you on the couch for me. So that- Yeah, yeah. From my perspective- yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that's a really good point. Cause you're going to see those behaviors generalized there too. And yeah, no, letting a dog sleep in the bed, like this whole dominance myth is. <laughs> <laughs> what do you really want to say there? <laughs> Not 
dominance is a thing. We will not say it's not, but there is a dominance. Yeah. Is- <laughs> uh, one of the things that we had in our notes for this though, was whatever the dog perceives as reinforcing drives behavior. And I think we should touch on that because that's really, really important, right? Yeah. So understanding perception from your dog's point of view and what your dog loves is, um, I, I just think it's so important. It's half our job, I think, is, is letting helping a client understand the viewpoint from the dog, not no, just theirs. This is the hard part, though. Adolescence. I had this discussion with a client today. I said, you know, your seven-month-old Black Lab, beautiful dog. She is great. But what she deems reinforcing today is going to be different the next day. And it's going to be different the next day. And she was holding a Kong. And she, I'm like, okay, so the Kong kind of worked today. It didn't really, we can build that skill. But as she continues to mature, some days that Kong has got to be everything to her. And then other days that greeting has got to be everything to her. And granted, what we aren't going into is what's in the Kong and what's that person mean to them, other things going along. But to understand that through adolescence, granted, there's so many other things too. I guess I should be saying this for all dogs, not just adolescents, that their perception is allowed to change. And it will. I think they, all of ours does based on our, you know, and his perception of greeting someone and saying hello is based on the last time he greeted someone and said hello. You know what I mean? So your perception changes with your experience and your education and your, your life, uh, not life skills, but life experiences, I guess. Well, and that's just it. So like what, whatever the dog perceives as re- reinforcing, well, cause reinforcement drives behavior is the line, right? Absolutely. And what we mean by this, if there's something that gives you a dopamine rush, you know, it's your God to want to do it again. Um, typically in the positive reinforcement world, it's food. We use a lot of food because it makes sense to say, I don't want to use treats in this situation and then not have a replacement reinforcement, you're, you're powerless mm-hmm. in, in our style of training. Now there, I don't want my dog to listen to me because they're afraid of the outcome. You know, right. I want my dog to want to listen to me because it's fun because sure. we're together because we're a team. So in order to even use a toy as reinforcement on our walks, I need to make sure that he finds playing with me on our walks, reinforcing like, right. I think the power of recognizing what your dog deems reinforcing at any given point, And then to say, Nope, I'm not going to use food. Okay. Then what else do you have? Like that can, that can compete. Yeah. <laughs> not even compete. Cause if you're going into this and not having any reinforcement whatsoever, if you think your attention alone has got to be the reinforcement and <laughs> only your attention alone, probably not my friend. right right oh that's what I mean like what's going to compete with everything around your dog like what's going to stop him from pulling what's going to stop him from going over there and sniffing what's going to you know it's not going to be thank you your love (laughs) and because they will find reinforcement if you are not there to provide it they will find the reinforcement so 100 percent. yeah yeah absolutely and it's a really good point Camille because like you always are competing with the reinforcement of their environment Oh yeah. And the environment's crazy, like fulfilling, um, reinforcements to that dopamine drive. Holy cow. Yeah. The environment's full of it. 
I, but yeah, that's a really, is there anything else you wanted to hit on that? Because that is such a good point. And I love your point of where there's constantly competing reinforcers. Oh, all the time. Um, just, just, you know, to summarize, reinforcement drives behavior, reinforcement drives behavior, <laughs> reinforcement drives behavior. Your dog's perception of what is reinforcement though. That is the yes. important part. Yeah, one of the things I think that a lot of people don't even understand is that because dogs are so social, even eye contact is reinforcing. So if your dog's jumping on you, for example, and you even look down at them, boom, they got reinforced. I love teaching that because people don't often think that way about, you know, they they look down like, what are you doing? You know, you're not supposed to do this. And I'm like, no, 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 just stop looking. Right. (laughs) And, you know, it is, it's interesting though, because I do find that speaking of a dog's expectations, if uh-huh. you're cleaning eye contact with them, they're mm-hmm. expecting you to tell them what to do next. Yes. They're looking at you like, yeah. yes, they so, look expectantly. Exactly. So if you're saying go to your bed, but then you're maintaining eye contact with them, they're like, okay, what do you got to me do next? <laughs> want them to go to their bed, look at their bed and, and yeah. communicate that. Cause there is that expectation from every single dog I've worked with that when we have this eye contact, you're going to tell me what's next. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm ready. What do you want me to do? Exactly. <laughs> That's such a good point, Camille. Um, it's really important to think about perceiving it, you know, looking at anything from someone else's perspective. I, I another rabbit hole and I know we're trying to close, but I'm trying to look at words with less aversion. So for example, the word moping, I uh-huh. was therapist about the word moping and saying you know what's the line between feeling grief and moping and she did not want to believe that moping existed because she couldn't see the word moping as being anything but negative whereas I talked to my girlfriend and my girlfriend's like well moping is part of grief it's healthy you know I'm really trying when I hear a label to see if there's a, a positive perspective from it it's a fun good for you oh my gosh therapy works um it's a fun exercise it sounds like a new way to think of things you know like it's a new a new perspective a new perspective well like and we just discussed how different perspectives can help you create reasonable expectations right Uh so if Mm -hmm. i start looking at things with a a lighter perspective then i can create more reasonable expectations Mm -hmm. yes so if i set my bar low then that's a reasonable expectation for me too and i've still got to use that as a coping mechanism of setting my bar low (laughs) (laughs) all right (laughs) okay you can do that (laughs) have a great week be kind to each other and that is the way the cookie crumbles yeah (laughs) thanks everybody